0: Plus,
1: you're right. It's time to enter our football time machine and go back to the decade that we haphazardly label as the noughties, the 2000s of course, and to the football of its time. few decades before and after though, uh, with this one in particular. I am Jake from What If Football and this is the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast episode 60 and it is the most wonderful time of the year the international break now i know i'm i'm one of the minority in that but seeing seeing as though it is the international break we're going to be taking a look at the best world cups ever last month we took a look at the worst world cups ever there's some cross referencing cross streaming with this one but we are going to take a look at your suggestions for the best world cup ever and what makes a great world cup as well so without further ado let's get stuck in And if you are enjoying podcasts like these, we do have a Patreon feed, patreon.com forward slash what if football, where from the littlest price of one pound per month, you can get five bonus pieces of content. That's the niche. That's the currency the internet deals with, isn't it? Um, Five pieces of content for one pound a month. And um, it's per week, by the way. So we've got Nostalgic podcasts like these. We've got great games. We've got head to head, where this week we are pitting Pele versus Romario. We're going to take a look at a classic from a Champions League group stage match between Monaco and Deportivo as well. In that one, and we've also got other bits and pieces like your what if alternate football scenarios in a in a lovely mailbag. We've also got written content coming to the uh, coming to the Patreon as well. We're going to take a an article every week instead of a instead of two weekly podcasts, we're going to take one to uh, write what we want about the football that's been happening and also uh, sprinkle some football manager stuff in there as well. So we're also on the spot social podcast network, of course where we are residing today and uh, on Wednesdays it's the noise nostalgia podcast. Yesterday we uh, we did ranked where we looked at the 20 greatest Italian Premier League footballers of all time, surprisingly not that many to choose from you'll be uh, surprised to know anyway and done. Um, friday we'll be uh coming in with the penultimate episode of second season of the barclays um the 93 94 season so check that one out on friday but today we're looking at the best world cups of all time your suggestions and well, throw a few of mine as well obviously we're covering pretty much every world cup from 1982 but uh we'll uh We'll have a look at that. So what, of course, we need to, before we look at what makes a best World Cup and um, Tom Moore, he says on Twitter, must have bizarre results, bizarre stars, and absolutely must contain a lot of goals. And he says, basically, it should be played on Championship Manager 97, 98. Uh, The problem I have with um, the World Cup being played on those earlier Championship Managers is you always had... um, with quite regularity. Um, too many underdogs, um, for example, you'd often get like a Slovenia getting to the final or something like that. And um, I think they've kind of got a good balance on Football Manager. You do you do get the odd like daft winner, like a Greece from 2004, for example. You get that quite a bit. So it's not perfect, but um, I do think I do um, agree some bizarre results, not loads of bizarre results because then it gets too skewed and then you get to like... Um, the 1994-2002 syndrome where you've got very, very predictable semi-finals and that's where I sort of draw the line at that. Um, bizarre Stars of course, you could you could attribute uh, Roger Miller, you could attribute Roger Miller who was absolutely fantastic, wasn't he, in the uh, 90, 1990 World Cup, 1994 as well to an extent. You've got that um, Saudi Arabian lad, O'Aaron, who um, had an absolutely superb World Cup in 1994 as Saudi Arabia shocked the world, didn't they really? And um, very different ways to what they're doing now. And so I do agree, uh, to an extent, with the Results, the bizarre stars. I think it's hard to um, it's hard to get bizarre stars these days because a lot of the only problem with modern football is a lot of it is uncovered. You don't get these wonder kids from Bulgaria that just come out of nowhere um, that you have no recollection of. Usually, they're now fed through the Red Bull system or they end up in the in the best teams going. So there's less um, there's less surprises when it comes to the players. Of course, it's still there's still sort of room for that especially if Qatar coming up all of their players probably will be playing in the Qatari leagues a lot of them are naturalized Brazilians but regardless it's still maybe a few players might fly under the radar with that one and I think you're mainly looking at teams from Africa teams from Asia the more, more um more pertinently that will throw up these like stars that you've not really heard of before and um a lot of goals, absolutely, absolutely. There's nothing worse than a, a World Cup with very little goals that you just try to get. It feels like you try to get blood from a stone. A, a perfect example, 2010. We'll get onto that in a minute. Uh, Maracas Flutes says legendary kits, grainy but not too grainy pictures, idiosyncratic stars, which discussed legends, of course. USSR and the Eastern Bloc, which kind of infers that you can't have a great World Cup post-1990 as well. Um, a sexy enough Brazil. Which I agree to an extent. And some little minnows who virtually never appear again. Enough two twos and three twos again covering all the goals there. Legendary kits, absolutely. They seem to Adidas seem to be really good at creating um good, really good templates for World Cup. So you have the nineteen ninety four World Cup templates with the with the huge three stripes down the side. I think uh, I seem to remember Sweden, Bulgaria, Ireland. I think they're away kit. had that. Um, yeah, just those which, which you can instantly pinpoint. You've also got the standalone kits like the... I've got the England away kit from 1982. The, just the uh, little trim at the top. Absolutely perfect. Um, Nike Total 90 in 2004. No, it's not a World Cup, but Euros. That sort of template when it's so... You know, you know it can pinpoint exactly who was wearing that, what tournament, who they were playing, it's just magnificent. Adidas have got, they had some good stuff at the last World Cup, um, Puma did in 2006, I seem to recall they had a pretty good template for that, and yeah, legendary kits, we can all remember, and of course now it's, kits are really now becoming fashionable, um, retro kits anyway, and obviously you know, remaking of retro kits and the prices have gone through the roof. And of course, what makes a legendary kit is if your team is successful, which is also a thing that I think does help to make a great World Cup for you personally, if your team's done well enough or not. Chris Kelly says various things include iconic players, moments, surprise teams, results, the atmosphere within the host nation and the host nation doing well helps. And um, I think... The least of those that that um i think does make a good world cup is the host nation doing well now of course south africa they didn't do too great in 2010 obviously the mantle then shifted to ghana and then it was the whole africa getting behind ghana thing and i think that kind of was a good substitute because you never really felt that south africa could do anything if they got for real groups um ghana though they had a very very good team so again i think to an extent, yeah, I kind of do agree, but then you've also got 2002, where did it hamper things with South Korea? Obviously, the co-hosts—they're doing very well getting to the semi-finals, but did they, they really deserve it? Was it really the right way, ethical way to go about doing that with the uh, the whole refereeing saga and stuff like that? Um, obviously, you've got Argentina in 1978, where, less like said about. Um, their control over that tournament, the better. <laughs> and um, I do think, to an extent, it, it's nice to see them getting through the groups. You don't want to see the host nation go out, get absolutely pumped three games and then you're out of the groups. Which has happened in more Euros, though, to be fair. Like, you've got Austria-Poland, you've got uh, Ukraine, you've got uh, Switzerland. They all got eliminated at the groups. South Africa, I think, was the first host nation to get eliminated at the groups. Maybe wrong on that one. Maybe we may see Qatar do the same thing next year. Um, I do think... Obviously, that it boosts the... It's the same thing with your team going out. It helps when, you, when your team, when your nation does very well. I think I can only think of one example where as soon as England got eliminated, I was thinking, right, I'm looking forward to the rest of this tournament because I didn't think we were going to do well. And now we're doing all right. And that was 2014. We'll discuss that later on as well. And the iconic goals and moments, which uh, Dean Pope says as well, I, yeah, has to be the Roger Miller, the little shake and dance in the corner of the, uh, in the corner there, you've got um, René Iguita just going absolutely mad for Colombia in, I think it was 1990, where he's just the first iteration of the ball playing goalkeeper, really, to a disastrous degree. Uh, just things like that, where you, where you you know exactly where you were. I think it's easier to do that from, say, 70s, 80s, 90s than nowadays. Although growing up, when you're of that seminal age, teenager, early 20s, child, I know exactly where I was when I saw David Beckham get sent off in the 98 World Cup, for example. Those sorts of things where they just... the, I think it's more than club football. It just tra- traverses everything. This is Which is why I prefer international football to an extent anyway. And because it is every four years, it just makes it that extra bit special. But we're not getting into that Arsene Wenger thing today, are we doing? No, we're not. One more point the Crystal Palace fanzine says, I love every World Cup and it's hard to pick a single best one, but it's great when the hosts have a run. He um, uses... South Korea in 2002 is a classic example, which I've just lambasted, but um, I take your point there. And um, it would be nice to have a great World Cup final again, though 1986 must be the last one. And I do agree with that one. The final's always, I think the point is the game is just too important. With the Champions League, it's every year. So there's always a chance you can come back the next year and win it. And plenty of teams have done so Bayern Munich 2012 to 2013, for example. Real Madrid won it time and time and time again. With the World Cup, you know you've only got Probably one stab, two stabs. If you're very lucky at a World Cup final, look at Lionel Messi, one World Cup final. Cristiano Ronaldo, zero World Cup finals. So that makes it very, very, very tense. I think I I do think the 2018 World Cup final was very good. I was thinking, I was thinking in the build-up to that, obviously with England out of it, you just want oh, goals. I want goals here, um, and thankfully it was the first World Cup. I think since since 1998 that had more than two goals in it which obviously goals don't equate to a fantastic game but every world cup final 98 i think i think the story behind it rather than the actual game itself was good obviously ronaldo you got zidane the host france winning the thing for the first time the story was good the game wasn't necessarily so great because the game was over it felt france were controlling it um 1994 i wasn't around well i was around i don't remember it um nil nil penalty you show know, you can just you can Yes, 2006 was kind of a, a good story. Zidane's final game, the headbutt, etc. Um, but now we'll uh, we'll crack on with your suggestions for the best World Cups ever. And now, I don't think any of our listeners are, are would would have been around for this one. But D two underscore TB on Twitter says the 1954 World Cup, an absolute goal fest and a surprise win, and I cannot agree more. But with one asterisk beside that, the group format was a disgrace. So it's like 96 to 2012 European Championships format. You've got 16 teams, or supposed to be 16 teams, two go through, quarterfinals, the, the the general format that which what we would know, but except for playing three group, for playing everybody in the group, you play two games in the group and it's, you play the unseeded teams if you're a seeded team. absolutely ridiculous, um, which is where we get the hungry... Eight West Germany three game from because uh, West Germany were unseeded for it. The uh, spring a bit of a surprise. Don't play, don't play their exact um, starting eleven perhaps, um, and then know that because of the obviously the goal difference, the goal average format needed a bit of reworking. But that wasn't World Cup's fault. That was just across the board there. I think in that one, and then they know they could just get absolutely they could get beaten forty three 0 if they wanted to, but because they knew they'd have Turkey in a playoff. Um, to get to the quarterfinals and they'd already they already had a good idea that they could beat Turkey having already beaten them in the tournament Is um, that thing there's also the goal fest yeah um, can there be too many goals i come no absolutely not so you got the 8-3 there I think Hungary won 9-0 against South Korea so you got Hungary obviously the best team at the top should have won it and this is where D2 says a surprise winner looking back at it now when you see oh Germany beat Hungary in the final you think wow that's surprising that Hungary even got to the final but Hungary's team was just magnificent. It's one of the few teams that I wish I was alive to see in the flesh. Sort of. Obviously, they came to England, demolished England, home and away, scoring thirteen goals in two games. Put eight past Germany. Put nine past South Korea. Beat the likes of Uruguay and Brazil, the previous finalists, <laughs> with ease. Um, obviously, Frank Puskas, Nando Hidiguti, Sándor Cox. You got all the players there. You got. Uh, and obviously, incredible amount of goals. 3-2, one of the best finals ever. You've got the whole story of the Adidas boots. German put their, Germany putting their long studs in because it was sponsored by Adidas because uh, he's German. And then, obviously, the rain comes. They come from 2-0 down to win. 3-2, you've got an injured Puskas. Regardless of his injury, scores the first goal. Maybe, perhaps, should have been allowed to score the third goal, but it's ruled out offside. And, yeah... They, out of World Cups that are probably out of most people's realm of remembering, because it, is, it was the first World Cup to be televised as well, which does help, um, but very little stations around the world would have shown it, I believe. I don't think there was... There wouldn't be the wall-to-wall coverage with you, like, Samika Richards, obviously not them, but <laughs> the pundits of his time, um, perhaps. Um, every every waking minute online or TV or whatever, you wouldn't have that. It would be doing with radio, wouldn't it, I suppose? So it's not that accessibility. Um, when you get to 1970, the first colorized World Cup, which is our next suggestion, Donovan Art, I think you really get the modernity of the World Cup. Obviously, we like to think England 1966, that was the start. But I think when you get into the colourisation, the colour TVs, 1970, I think that's when you draw the line. It's easy for us to, push it back another four years. Funnily enough, largely English uh, listener base here on What If Football. Nobody suggested the 1966 World Cup, um, despite England winning it. And one of my um, tenets for a good World Cup is your team doing quite well. And now, obviously, I think that comes with your own experiences. So, like I said earlier, not very little, very little of my fan base, very little of our listenership Will have been around for 1966 as World Cup. Um, if we had, we'd have all said it, wouldn't we? Really, if this was a podcast in 1982, <laughs> which would have been impossible, um, we would have all said 1966, wouldn't we? But Jonathan says 1970s World Cup, and you have to. I, I, I do look back on this one fondly, having watched a few matches from Brazil. You've got Gerd Muller being an absolute beast, scoring ten goals with a golden boot. There, um, you've got England defending champions. The the huge game with. Um, the huge game with Brazil in the group stage is lauded now. I think in in sort of these circles, these shores, as final quality. You've got so many strands coming from that game. You've got the more tackle on on Pele. You've got the uh, Gordon Bank save. But actually, Brazil win the game, don't they? And then obviously they go on to win the entire tournament. And you've you've also got you've got your your Peru's, your Uruguay's. I think it's always a bit special a World Cup. It all, almost adds to a little bit. Because of the Europeanization of football and how there's more European countries that are better at the sport than everywhere else on the world combined. I always think it's better when a World Cup is not in Europe. So, for example, the 1970 World Cup in Mexico, the 1986 World Cup also in Mexico. Um, the Japan and South Korea World Cup, to an extent, I think, um, did allow for South American teams, for Asian teams to... Uh, to uh, come through and play quite well, um, I don't think it's too much of a factor these days. Um, although in the 2014 World Cup, it's probably one of the rare occasions where European teams weren't the dominant sort of uh, name in the in the last four, where there was uh, two South Americans, two Europeans, of course. Um, nowadays, it's usually a full cast of Europeans, unless Brazil. Puck through maybe Argentina once in a while may get to the uh, may get to the semi-finals, but it's very rare nowadays because of you, football is pretty much centralised to to Western Europe really, and you can boil it down to about eight countries really that uh, have a you know very good footballing facilities, and I think back then less so, and obviously playing it in Mexico does help. And it also helps that you have one of the greatest international teams to have ever played the sport in Brazil. Pelé, Jairzinho, Rivellino, tossed out all of the lads. And of course, batter Italy. The European champions, let's not forget. And I think that often gets swept under the rug. But um, but Brazil did beat Europe's finest. So you, you have got that. It's not like they played uh, nobodies. And you've got the whole... The whole aspect of it... The whole feel of it... It just... It just looking back... It just like Maracas flute says... Grainy but not too grainy footage... The high definition footage of the 1970 World Cup... With the football there is absolutely beautiful... Absolutely beautiful... These very little World Cups that can look as good... As the 1970 World Cup also helps... Also the legendary kits... Even though they're all playing... I know they're all playing... There's no sponsors or anything... Which I think does help to an extent... It just looks absolutely magnificent... And now... Another one, the 1982 World Cup, suggested by a few lads. Um, Maracas Flute, Trevor Sports 90, great YouTube channel there. Um, and Jonathan R also suggests the 1982 World Cup. Jonathan R says, so many iconic players. And going with a facet of your team doing very well. England, they'd take, obviously, between the 1970 and 1982 World Cup, we'd had no England in the World Cup. And coming back, and they did quite well, um, undefeated, got to the last 12... As it were, the format, I mean, I'm not I'm not too much of a fan. It was a 2014 World Cup, but it should have been how, obviously, as it was going forward, as we'll uh, attest to with a few uh, suggestions here of the best format um, as well. The 82 World Cup just had some absolutely outstanding games of football. Like with 1970, it was uh, remiss of me to miss out the, uh, the Italy-Germany semi-final. I think that's the... One of the greatest games in the World Cup's history. In terms of a semi-final bettered by two games we're going to be discussing, Um, one of which comes from the 1982 World Cup final, France versus West Germany. What a game of football. It had absolutely everything. Harold Schumacher absolutely destroying Patrick Battiston. You've got an extra time filled with goals, 3-3. It goes to penalties, of course, when it goes to penalties, West Germany win. And you've also got on the other side of things, you've got Paolo Rossi. You've got the whole fallout from the Totoniero. You've got the stories there. Him coming back. Him allowed to play in the tournament for one. Him coming back, scoring a hat-trick against Brazil. And that match is one of the... I think it's, if not the greatest World Cup match ever. Because Brazil, these... They were like, Maracas Flutes says, a sexy enough Brazil. This was the sexiest Brazil going. And they didn't win. They didn't even come close to winning it. They didn't get to the semi-finals. They got to a proxy quarter-final, really, with Italy. And um, Paolo Rossi just absolutely destroyed them with a hat-trick. One of the greatest um, single performances ever. And a lot of people have a lot of fondness for that Brazil team, Zico, Socrates, Falcao, Edda, scoring absolute stupid goals in the, in the group stages. And um, it was Italy who destroyed them. Paolo Rossi had an absolute stormer of a tournament. When he got going, Italy started off quite slowly. And then you've got the final, you've got the Marco Tardelli celebration, which is absolutely iconic beating West Germany. Although... A fantastic final in of itself was preceded by a couple of absolutely insane games of football, Brazil versus Italy, and uh, not even the semi-final, because Italy beat Poland, and then um, France versus West Germany. And had those games not been played um, in the same tournament, we'd be looking back with the, with the 82 final with a lot more fondness. And going four years later, back to Mexico, Maracas flute Jonathan R again suggesting the uh, the 86 World Cup the uh the format comes into question as well united 16 bit on twitter one more point the crystal palace fanzine they say that the the format from 1986 to 1994 was the best format and um, to an extent i think you've got the absolute perfect sort of um in for its time for its time definitely when um, when you get outside the top sort of 20 teams there's a harsh drop off now I think it's you get to the you get to the top 30 teams top 35 top 40 um, but obviously you get the uh, the cap on the amount of teams per continent you can get I think the drop off from the top 40 now is dire it's drastic so which makes now the perfect format not the 24 team tournament it's the 32 that we have now or will only have now for the next tournament which is such a disgrace, really. I'd, it doesn't get said enough, but 48 teams in a World Cup. I think that's too much. It's, the format um, for the upcoming World Cup in 2026 is ludicrous. We're going to have a lot more. You'd hope that the ethics are still at play because we don't want another um, disgrace of Gijon, which we had in 1982. Another failure. to there's too much stuff that went on in these World Cups. Um, the, the way the final games weren't played at the same time. And now with three team groups, you physically can't unless you want a triple threat match, Mali versus Denmark versus Argentina for the, it's ridiculous. Three goals, three sets of t- three players. You, you can't do it. And you're going to have to, FIFA are going to have to rely on a lot of goodwill for this format to stay true. Or you're going to have to put it back to four team groups and, and, maybe work something out there maybe go to they are going to a last 32 which is almost if you if you boil it down to if you pair them up in the quarters of the draw it's almost like they could have just had the four teams in the groups and just pair them off like that because it's almost like a third group stage game with the teams that you'd be playing unless it's like some drastically bad but the format that's I, I think we've got it perfect at the moment. 32 teams is the absolute happy medium. 24 for 1986, 1990, 1994 was absolutely perfect too. You still had the huge teams not qualifying, Netherlands, France, England to an extent, not qualifying for these World Cups, but you still had, obviously, without, goes without saying, the iconic moments of 1986. Two of them, two of the most important moments in probably football history happened in the same match, four minutes apart, as I often say, Diego Maradona against England, the hand of God, the goal of a century, two very, arguably the most, the greatest goal ever scored, and then the arguably one of the most important goals ever scored, scored by one of the most important players to the sport ever, and that was in one match of football. And then you've obviously got, you've got a few teams in there that are kind of underdogs, but like, had very very good teams so you got the the Danish team they were coming they just had professionalisation a few decades prior and they were really coming to the fore they did quite well in the Euros two years prior you got the Soviet Union had a fantastic team full of Dynamo Kiev players would go on to be in the European Championship final two years two years on uh, you've got uh, Belgium we got to another semi-final you, uh, you've got the iconic picture of uh, Diego Maradona with uh, with all the Belgian players in that one as well and this is a obviously a world cup controlled by Maradona controlled by Argentine they obviously go on to win it um, and as um, previously mentioned one of the greatest finals 3-2 um, I think 54 just about pips it. you've got also added into the shock factor you got 86 I think you, what you have is I think even though Brazil did have Carreca coming back, adding to the likes of Zico, Socrates, etc., Argentina had a better team. So you've got South America's best Argentina against Europe's best, West Germany. And it was just a, a fitting end to um, a, a great World Cup, really. And um, you also have Spain in there, fantastic teams. France, let's not forget, they were potentially also one of the best in uh, in Europe as well. with Platini, Tigana, Trezor. Fantastic uh, French team uh, got to the semi-finals as well. Um, again, losing to Germany, as he often did at the time. Um, it, it's full of full of um, fantastic moments. And again, when it, when it goes to North America, South America, Central America, the World Cups just tend to feel a bit more special, don't they? Um, and of course, four years on, 1990 World Cup, Italia 90, Pavarotti soundtracked. Caneguia was absolutely insane for Argentina, got absolutely destroyed in the first match by Cameroon. Goalkeeper, speaking of Cameroon, you've got uh, a fantastic display from them really bringing African football forward in sort of one tournament absolutely insane um trevor sports has holds a place in english hearts even though the football was dreadful but did more to promote the game than any other before or since chris kelly also suggests it Derek cleary 78 says the the football wasn't great but it was my first world cup some iconic jerseys and players and united 16 bit says it was held when seria was probably the best league in the world which is a big plus and i do agree with that you still have when you watch seria football now you still see the legacy behind that World Cup with all the stadiums. All the stadiums were built roughly around the same time and they've all got the similar architecture to it. There's only really... Obviously, you've got the Venice Stadium, which has been recently built. But you've got the uh, the uh, Diego Armando Maradona Stadium, Napoli Stadium, a big ball. Obviously, the Deli Alpi UV old stadium was a big ball as well. You've got... You've got San Siro, which is slightly um, slightly different. You've got the stadiums in Bari, which was used quite heavily um, around the time and in European club finals as well. Um, you've got a distinct feel to the tournament. You've got, obviously, Italian teams not kind of, not really dominating. Obviously, AC Milan won the European Cup back-to-back and they would go on to have a big say in where the UEFA Cup was held for the year um, in the 90s, but they weren't really... They didn't have like three or four absolutely superb teams peppering the European Cup again and again and again. You just had teams... It was a highly competitive league. You had owners spending a lot of money. into Milan had the uh, the three Germans. You've got AC Milan had the three Dutchmen. Obviously, in the times of the Foreigner Rule. Um, you, had, you did have um, all that quality and a lot of it, all of it pretty much was in this in this World Cup. Obviously, as Trevor says, it does help when England do quite well, obviously. If you're not English, then it does help if your team does quite well. So, for example, if you're American, I suppose the 2002 World Cup was probably one of the best things ever. Um, or Hungary 1954. If you're of that age, it does help when your team does quite well. Um, and also, as Derek says, it was it was his it was his first World Cup, and I think that also has to be factored into some sort of bias there. We'll get onto my se- selections in a minute, um, but it. It very, very much does help when you're of that seminal age when it's your first World Cup and you've just got this absolute festival of football and everything's new, you might not know all the players, not everything's uncovered and laid out and you can look at it all on like a data spreadsheet or you've got football manager or whatever, which is essentially the same thing. You don't know everybody, everything's new, everything's sort of exciting and fresh and it just, the football almost doesn't matter because... I can guarantee you won't remember all 90 minutes of pretty much any football match. You remember the moments, you remember how it makes you feel. And for people, I think it's the first World Cup is usually everybody's favourite, unless it's absolutely ridiculous. Or, for example, as Trevor says, your team does very well. So coming up now, I'll use European Championships, for example. My favourite European Championships, although England did absolutely horrifically, it was 2000, and it's considered probably one of the best European Championships. But it's because of all the super players that were playing, all the moments. You got the Netherlands who really piqued my interest. They're now my probably one of my favourite teams, international teams going forward because of that tournament. But then you've also got the 2020 tournament when England did so well, getting to a final, the first European final, obviously worked on what football for a lot of that. So obviously that's ingrained as well. So it's almost like a first in that respect for me. Um, but obviously as a nation, you, you you remember those moments, you remember people coming around to your house, you remember the pubs, you remember the, you know, the box parks, the, you know, the fan arenas, not too keen on the baby in front of the air, but obviously it went a goal of say, Kieran Trippier's Magnitude scored against Croatia, or Luke Shaw's against Italy. Um, it's just, it absolutely, you don't, don't matter what happens. The absolutely insane um, moments in time that will that will live. Probably, I think football has that power to to sort of almost make them bigger than sort of real life. It's not really real life, is it? For for you as a person, as an experience, it's vicarious. But those sort of those moments. I don't know if it's me um, being a nerd or. or sheltered or not having a great life <laughs> but, but those kind of moments almost get ascended to greatest moments of your life sort of stuff when okay a club football you, you have for me personally Man United Ole Gunnar Solskjaer scoring against Bayern Munich you know, it's probably obviously the best but then you, when it's England, when everyone's in it together, when you know everybody else is pulling in the same direction, it's just something a little bit special. And you don't get all your mates round for every Champions League game, do you? You get all your mates around for every World Cup game. And I know I do. I'll go around to other people's houses or just the pub or whatever. And it's just a special moment where it's just a month condensed and when your team does well, it just adds to it completely. We all, as English people, we all will remember the 2018 and 2021 summers, no matter what's going on in your life, if you're having a bad time of it, when you have that month and your team goes really, really close to winning something and you haven't won anything for ages, it's very, very, very special. And the 1994 World Cup, not a very a lot of love for this, really. But uh, one more point, uh, the Crystal Palace fanzine, uh, his favourite World Cup goal is the Warren solo effort against Belgium. Maybe if this was between two bigger teams, a bigger player, perhaps, we would be lauding this as the goal of the century, not Maradona's. But this was absolutely an absurd goal that he Just there. It's Saudi Arabia's first World Cup. In a really tough group as well, Belgium, Netherlands, Morocco... And Saudi Arabia just took it by storm, really. And I think you, need, you do need to have that balance of shocks. I'm fine with a World Cup group stage exit from a, we'll get onto it in a few, few moments here, the 2002 World Cup, from an Argentina, from a France, from a Portugal. You can also, the other way, a shock of Bulgaria beating Germany, that's always nice, not just because it's Germany. Um, that does also help <laughs> from an English perspective. But when you have a few little f- bits thrown in there, like a Costa Rica in 2014, that's always nice. You don't want it to be the semifinals, be, be Romania versus Bulgaria, Sweden versus Nigeria. All those all, all those teams did very, very, very well in this World Cup. Um, Romania were absolutely superb uh, beating Argentina. They'd get swept under the radar, really, get swept under the carpet, rather, um, because of uh, Stoichkov and what Bulgaria did, and Sweden obviously knocked them out in the quarterfinals. But Hadji against Argentina, incredible, incredible. And uh, Romania, I think Romania and Bulgaria shocks... Very much needed. Um, Did give the Premier League a boost. I think it boosted the Premier League a bit more than did the MLS. Obviously, it helped launch the MLS, the 1994 World Cup. being in America as well, of course. Um, But after the 1994 World Cup, you obviously entered in your third season in the Premier League. And with this being such a huge event, um, a lot of eyeballs on it, a lot of then foreign influx into the Premier League, and that helps the Premier League immeasurably, in my in my opinion, because the first two seasons, they do feel like old First Division football. 1994-05 onwards does help with Blackburn and Newcastle with that new money as well. Man United, obviously, new money going out into Europe and stuff like that, it does help them as well, helps the Premier League. But then you've also got a lot of foreign in- influx into the Premier League, which was, for me, Kickstarted started by the 1994 World Cup and that's probably one of the true starts of the Premier League when it starts to feel a bit more different. Obviously, you've got more TV coverage, all of that, but the football on the pitch is largely the same. From the 94 w- World Cup onwards, the Premier League just explodes and then you get incredible teams playing um, in European finals, again, like we, uh, like we had in the 70s and 80s, obviously 60s as well. Obviously, you have Diana Ross missing the penalty. Um, which is an iconic moment in of itself, really. You've got uh, <laughs> a tournament really bookended with two iconic penalty misses: um, Roberto Baggio missing, which heartbreaking. Now has to go down as one of the more important World Cup moments, and you need those sprinkled in. You need you need a Lechkov header from Bulgaria against Germany. You need Roger Miller scoring to make himself the oldest player to score a goal in the World Cup. You need Oleg Salenko in the same match to score five goals um, to somehow tie himself with a golden boot. Oh, these are all moments from the 1994 World Cup and often gets slept on this World Cup, maybe because it's America, maybe it's this, for some reason this disdain that Americans can't enjoy football or soccer and there's this disdain between football and soccer, despite soccer being an English word. Um that doesn't let people enjoy this World Cup a bit more. And for me, I wouldn't enjoy it as much as the 1990 or the 1998 World Cup, despite the football being better from 94 to, uh, from 90 to 94. For me, it's more the amount of shocks just about tips over into the bad area. Now, Bulgaria had a fantastic team. Romania had a fantastic team. Fine with them doing very, very well. Sweden as well. But my problem would be then... The semi-finals: Italy versus Bulgaria, Brazil versus Sweden, and you may as well just switch off because you know the you know the final already. Now, as for as good as Bulgaria and Sweden were and are, they just needed something a little bit extra to get over the the the, the, uh, the hurdle in the World Cup semi-final. We'll see it in two thousand and two in a minute. Y- you, you kind of just like, oh, okay, it's fine. And obviously this didn't have the factor of England being well, because they weren't even in the tournament, um, which I think also does allow you to just celebrate a bit more. Let's say in the year of 2008, I remember the, the footage, the the adverts from, there's no British teams in the 2008 European Championships. So the 94 World Cup, you can all get behind. You can all get behind Ireland, really. Um, I can remember the, the the sort of adverts like, who who are you going to support? Now, my team was always the Netherlands. Everyone else seemed to be Spain. Um, I got proof wrong in the end, didn't I? But uh, <laughs> with that one, but you, you do let yourself enjoy it because your team's not in it. And that is also that is also another sort of part of the spectrum, really. You can either have your team doing very, very, very well, getting to a semi-final or a final and being like, wow, this is the best summer ever. Or there's no pressure, especially if you uh, live in a, I don't know, a top 10 nation, like a, if you're a German or a French, you know, Dutch, you can just let yourself enjoy it because there's no pressure. You don't have to... You can have fun supporting who you want or just want football to win or something like that. Um, so we get on to 1998 World Cup, my personal first World Cup, um, drips and drabs anyway. Um, phew, iconic now. And I think we get... This is probably the most suggested thing. Um, I think it's because I'm 28 and therefore I think the age you are kind of reflects what age your audience would be. And I think that's why we have a lot of these sorts of people between the ages of So I think me being 28. Now, I think I'm probably like the, the youngest person who could probably remember a lot of the 98 world cup up to about 34, 34, 35. That's where a lot of my audience is. So we get a lot of suggestions. We've got chat, chat, grapple and cheap pops podcasts, just simply attaching the Bergkamp versus Argentina gif. And yeah, I'll f- what a goal! One of the better, one of the better World Cup goals ever scored. Chris Kelly also suggests this, and Dave Matheson. To be fair, I'll actually I'll leave Dave's quote till uh, the end of these this long list because it's it pretty much sums the entire World Cup up. Maracas Flute says, "In my first one, where I was properly aware and interested, he taped every match, every squad number, every squad member. Match and goal is burned into my memory. Also helps." Um, little um, aside here, go on to YouTube and there's a two-hour video split into two parts of every goal in the 98 World Cup, which is just memories flooding back. Maybe an hour, I don't know, but it, they're all up there for all to see. Uh, Dean Pope says, Owen versus Argentina, Bergkamp versus Argentina again, Beckham versus Argentina, basically anything with Argentina. And that England-Argentina game was probably the first time, it was probably only the f- f- third football match that I'd sat through the whole of and watched and um, I, for some reason, I watched the, Engl- the England-Trunesia game at school. For some reason, the Romania game must have passed me by and must have been my bedtime. <laughs> but I stayed up for the Columbia game because it was very important. And um, and that's where I, David Beckham's free kick, that just changed my entire life like that because from then I go on to spot Man United, et cetera, et cetera, because um, of David Beckham. And then David Beckham, getting sent off against Argentina. That is one of the best games of football I've ever seen. It was my third ever game of football. Um, Incredible. And then obviously the final, I remember as well, which uh, was fantastic Um, looking back as well. uh, Connor Lee, 23, says, uh, a couple of the best World Cup goals ever, Bergkamp's against Argentina, Owens against Argentina. Argentina really got shellacking in this tournament, didn't they? Um, Batty goal. Um, the, The thing with the 98 World Cup is, all the best players sort of came out to play. Rivaldo, Ronaldo, you've got Vieri, you've got Batistuta. Baggio, um, for example, had his redemption. So without further ado, we'll, we'll look at uh, Dave's suggestion, right? I was 13. Footix, sticker album. Reggae boys, Blanco Bounce. Fantastic um Reference there from the Mexican, uh this little trick that he used to do. Baggio, penalty redemption, Brian Loudrup celebration, Romanian hair, Owens run, Beckham's red, Bergkamp, Blanc kissing Bartes, Blanc and Bilic, Ronaldo, Zidane, the most tournament goals and Des Lynam's if. And that pretty much encapsulates the entire tournament for me. Um The Romanian hair was a great novelty. i I was hoping we might reach that stage with <laughs> with the England team um, this summer with Phil Foden starting that, but it, alas, it never happened, did it? Um, also, something that got lost in there, we had um, the America-Iran match, which was absolutely huge um, at the time. Obviously, it had no bearing on the World Cup whatsoever because Iran won, uh, both teams went out because Germany and Yugoslavia in that group were just too strong. But for outside of football reasons for the ongoing sort of hostilities and tensions. And the good show of sort of solidarity of the Iranian players just shows that um, football is probably one of the better methods, or rather sport is one of the better methods um, to make people sort of reevaluate and realise we're just going to sit here for 90 minutes, it doesn't really matter um, what our political differences might be, whether our geographical differences may be, religious, non-religious differences might be, which I think pertinent now, more than uh, for for a long, long time, really. Um, For that, for them, for those two nations there, um, it didn't matter that Iran won, it didn't matter. It wouldn't matter if it was a nil-nil board draw. The fact that they came together and played a game of football and it was fine at the end shows that we can be grown up humans and at the end of it all, it's really, really, very futile. And sport, I think, more than anything, can make you to give you that perspective on things, really. And again, like I say, England didn't do okay. Really, the last sixteen wasn't really good. Uh, you had the whole Gascoigne Beckham selection controversies. Glenn Hoddle as um, manager there, but the the whole tournament was just incredible. And obviously, my first tournament, my first World Cup. So, for me bias slightly on that one and um, the 2002 World Cup obviously the next one only suggested by a few people Um, I I remember it a lot more I remember every game almost Uh, probably every game I could get my hands on because obviously the time difference wasn't uh, too great in 2002 and now I think they've standardized it so it's more leading towards Western Europe no matter where the World Cup's held which um, has its positives, has its negatives, of course, um certain areas of the world. 2002 World Cup suggested by the FT LOL podcast. Personally, because of the nostalgia of it, it first one we could vividly remember, uh, George Spencer says it was plenty of drama, that's for sure, and Connolly, 23, also suggests it. Um, again, I've got a problem with the 94 World Cup with two obvious semi-finalist winners. 2002 is even more obvious. Uh, Brazil beating Turkey, Germany beating South Korea. Now, the South Korea element maybe could have thrown you into a bit of uh, sort of confusion, maybe not knowing who was going to win that one because he'd already beaten Italy and Spain, two teams that are, I might add that were better than Germany. Germany were, I think to me, over the, since I've been watching football, Germany are probably the worst team to reach the World Cup final. The team of the time, 2002, the path that they had was um, incredibly easy. Um, they were haplessly beaten when they got to the final. Obviously, they relied on two players. For me, um, oh, maybe simplifying it slightly, Oliver Kahn who won the golden ball, although I think he was given that because Ronaldo won the golden boot and he'd already, you know, he's quite obvious he was the best player at the tournament, but they give it to Kahn anyway. Um, Balak as well. Um, but aside from that, I don't think there's anything special. Of course, you get the 8-0 against Saudi Arabia, which is which is fantastic. Um, Ireland took them to a draw, though Ireland as well, themselves doing very well. Obviously, Helps England were a lot better. They had the the better players, better team here. Were destined to win the whole thing. Um, Didn't, obviously, with the Ronaldinho. Of course, if you ask anybody where they were, Brazil 2, England 1, they'll they'll tell you. If If they're of my age or an age, sort of, five years, either side, they'll say, I was in the school hall watching it at 7am. And if you ask anybody between the ages of sort of 25 and 35, they'll tell you the exact same thing. Where were you when Ronaldinho lobbed David Beckham and uh, David Beckham, David Seaman. (laughs) And I think as I was saying earlier, it makes it a bit more special, these sorts of things. Now I can remember, I'll tell you a little personal story from the 2014 World Cup. England had just lost to Italy and it was an 11 o'clock kickoff Friday night and there's another game on afterwards two 2am 2 or 1am or whenever it was ivory coast versus Japan, such, a, such an inconsequential game of football, but you stay up and watch it cause it's a world cup. I went back to my mate's house and, um, decided to play our one and only game of, um, a drinking game of football, which was the rules were quite simple. Anytime anything happened, take a shot. <laughs> Except the only thing was there was no shot glasses in the house. He so didn't possess a shot glass for some reason. Um, bizarre enough, being a 21 year old male and um, we didn't have any spirits. So we drank oversized shots of Bailey's chocolate orange, which um, lasted obviously rather predictably um, with vomit and half time and then going home. Um, and I watched the second half from the comfort of my own bed, which is uh, a disaster. But my point is that you remember those moments because it's not a 3pm kickoff. It's not the usual surround. It's not Bramall Lane. It's not the Hawthorns. It's not the players you you usually sort of watch football for. It's it's different. It's sort of Honda of Japan scoring a goal in like half one in the morning. It's it's Ronaldinho lobbing David Seaman at quarter past eight on a morning on like a Thursday. I can't remember what day it was, but you remember those things and those the the the, uh, the dissimilarity of it, the unfamiliarity rather of it it makes it a bit more special. And these things have the will. Obviously, that's going to be taken into overdrive next year, but uh, whether or not it's a good thing or not, um, for human rights, not a good thing for maybe. Memories um, could all be coming together, couldn't it really? England doing well. Very, very unfamiliar with it being in December. May have the heating on in the room when when the final penalties are scored. Who knows um, whether or not that makes it a good World Cup obviously we will uh, we'll, we can attest to that later on can't we um, the 2006 World Cup next obviously another suggestion from FD lol podcast from a non-biased perspective 2006 due to the depth of quality which I do agree with I think it's alongside 98 and 2014 for me with this one with all the stars firing really Zidane for one he um, says France, Italy and Brazil fantastic opening game can attest to that Sky of School for that one um, was not disappointed. I usually only skive school Tuesday to when, Tuesday to Thursday. So imagine my dad's shock when I skived on a Friday. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, the best final for years. Um, I got to agree with that one. Yeah. The stories behind it matter, Zidane, head, butt bang penalties, which is no matter how bad the final, like from a, from a non-English, non-Italian perspective, the European championship final just gone may not be all that great, but when you're in it, when you're swept up in it, insanely good game of football obviously stressful game of football but when there's a penalty shoot at the end of it it obviously gives it that bit of bit of added a don't it really and I think that does help a, a game of football especially a final like that um 94 World Cup we had the iconic moment didn't we in the shootout 2006 World Cup we had the iconic moment slightly before uh, the shootout which did probably obviously impact the shootout as well um 2006 World Cup as well was the culmination of the golden generation which the tournament which for one for me which is probably why it's on my one on my short short list I was just the right age, just the right age in 2006. I was 13. You have that when you're 13. That overconfidence that your team will do no wrong. And we had the best team on paper. I don't even... I would still agree with that now. You had the best team on paper. The only problems were the tactics and the style of play and the sort of national mood that we've only just overcome in the last previous three years. Um, to how to play tournament football, it's not a Champions League back and forth, four three every game sort of a, a huge, hugely uh, quality laden game of football, is it? It's more, it's not. It, it makes me sound like I'm bad mouthing World Cups here, but it's it's not as good as the Champions League in terms of quality. But the drama, the the whole thing, how important it is it's? In, it's importance is what makes a World Cup so great, and I think that's the underlying to everything and why. Making it every two years would rid it of a lot of its importance because you don't have, you'll have players winning three World Cups when, to me, only Pele should be the one to win three World Cups unless something drastic happens um, when you get, so, so, I don't know, Messi's son, he wins four World Cups in a row with Argentina, (laughs) I don't know. That sh- those records should always be intact and which makes it so important. It w- would, it, would the Maracanazzo be so important now from 1950 if Brazil just won the World Cup in 1952? No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Um, would would um, Roberto Baggio's penalty miss be so important if Italy then won a World Cup in 1996? No. Would Maradona's... I could go on. <laughs> it's... A, it, you need four years to stew over these things. Ronaldo in 2000 wouldn't be at a World Cup in 2000. He'd be injured. It makes a redemption story in 2002 from the from the heartbreak of the 98 World Cup final. So much more impressive, so much more of a story. What transcends international football, international tournament football at least, we do kind of get, oh, it's international break again. But when it gets to a tournament, because it is that important, because we've waited so long for it, that's what makes it so good. Um, and yeah, despite the... Football not being of the highest quality. I do get that. I understand that. And it is true. The football isn't of the highest quality. um, But it it, it feels better. It feels special. And it, that's even why. Some people are suggesting the 2010 World Cup. Teammates app suggest it. After England were knocked out, it was fun. Uh, Uruguay were fallen. Suarez firing. Ghana stars being in the mix was exciting. But the best team won in Spain. Can't agree more. Uh, but I was supporting Netherlands. <laughs> I think I was the only one. In, uh, in Europe, supporting the Netherlands, maybe a few Portuguese running there. Again, that's another one where the World Cup is seen not as not not great football like 1990, but you get these overarching stories. You've got Paraguay getting to the quarterfinals of a World Cup, which doesn't get really said a lot, but and it, obviously overtaken by the Ghana factor, by Spain. Germany had a very, very young team. Obviously, you get the Lampard goal. <laughs> Unless <laughs> they discussed later on that day, you've got Mexico against Argentina when Argentina's goal definitely shouldn't have stood, but and then you show it in the big screen, Mexico go mental, and then obviously lose their heads, lose the game. You've got all these stories, obviously it's a 2006 World Cup, you've got the Graham Paul three yellow card story, haven't you? You've got Australia doing well. Um, 2010, you've got, yeah, Uruguay, Forlan was the only player who could make that ball work. I'm sure he had some inside knowledge of that one. Um, Wesley Snider had a fantastic tournament. Netherlands, um, outside of Mark van Bommel, were good to watch <laughs> to an extent. Mark van Bommel were a bit, um, was a bit... uh took life into his own hands, didn't he? Really, <laughs> a bit chaotic. Um, I, yeah, and I I, I kind of did enjoy it. I was in college at the time, I was 17, England weren't as good, but you still have those stories. New Zealand, again, being undefeated, but going out. It's a part in New Zealand um, for a bit. Shane Smeltz, Halifax Town's own Shane Smeltz. I remember cheering for him when he scored against Italy. Those types of moments are fantastic. Um, but the quality of the football. The Vuvuzelas, I think, don't annoy me as much as they did. Um, when you when you switch the... I remember watching the first game in my bedroom... And I had it on mute and I switched the volume on. I was like, is my TV broken? It just sounded like there was a B in the back of my telly. Back when TVs weren't all flat screens. Um, Although it probably was. I just had a a duff TV in my bedroom. Um, But there we go on to 2014, which is on my shortlist as well. Um, To be fair, Trevor Sports suggests it. Dazza supports it. Says it's got a good underdog team. Costa Rica has got great goals. Robin Van Persie suggests, I would suggest that Tim Cahill's goal against the Netherlands Whew, seek that one out what goal that is and obviously it's got important games 7-1 I'll just say that um, a great team won it Messi in the final Yep, completely the Brazil story um, was just superb really um, all of their games had something about it obviously you get the opener maybe not the the Cameroon one when, when it was all sort, sorted really, but you got the Mexico game where they just could not get past that goalkeeper, Guillermo Ochoa. You've got the Chile game, which I was fully rooting for Chile. Uh, I think, again, I was the only one I was rooting for Chile and it was so heartbreaking when they when they lost in the penalty shootout. And then the Colombia game, which is incredible. you got James Rodriguez having the time of his life in that tournament. Um, bit, I've covered that a lot of Colombia. um for a job I was doing at the time, it's Colombia, very fun to watch Uruguay, the James Rodriguez goal that won the Puskas award, for example. And again, it's like I got very, very good memories of this, really, because for a lot of the, for like, say, four or five days of this World Cup, I was in Amsterdam. So we, instead of like normal people flying there, we got the boat. And um, when you get the boat, um, if it's a big event, like, we booked the tickets and I realised, oh no, England versus Uruguay will be happening whilst we're in the North Sea, but fear not. The people behind Piano, I think it was, Ferries, um, shout out to them, they put a big big cinema screen and we watched England versus Uruguay with intermittent uh, delays and signal issues. <laughs> and uh, hundred English people in the middle of the North Sea going absolutely bananas whenever the signal cut out when Suarez or whoever was on goal. And then just feeling absolutely crushed when... Um, the goal goes in, but then being soothed by um, by everything that Amsterdam has to offer, <laughs> put it that way. And just the whole, the humanity in Amsterdam, the people that we saw in there from all over the world was just, was fantastic and makes makes me want to recommend if there's a World Cup on, go somewhere, go somewhere you've never been and just sort of ingest the World Cup that way. We watched a, a Belgium game with a bunch of Belgians. I think it was... It would have been Russia 1-0, I think it was. We watched the Belgian game with a bunch of Belgians. That was very fun. We watched the Algeria beating South Korea 4-2 and there was an Algerian man at the front of this bar that we sat on. It, I, to put it mildly, it was the best night of his life. I'm pretty sure he was crying. He was in floods of tears. This is Algeria who had waited so long for a, a knockout stage game of World Cup football, robbed of it in 1982. He would have... I don't think he would have been alive then he would have been had this story passed down from his from his dad from his grandfather and he was openly weeping in front of the bar it was oh, incredible um, and we were all there at the back of the bar supporting Algeria as well because you couldn't really support South Korea when he was an Algerian man at the front of the bar. absolutely having the time of his life most important match of his sort of footballing supporting life Germany versus Ghana 2-2 everyone in that obviously big rival between the Netherlands and Germany um Everyone supporting Ghana in the in the really small pub we were in. Um, another great story there. Um, and even just watching on the ferry back, watching the Netherlands beat Chile, it was, and just a, a very good vibe about the whole few days, really, all the football on. Watching it wherever we could, missing bits and bats, but mainly um, watching England crash out as Costa Rica beat Italy. Good memories there. And like I say it helps when you've got sort of like an unfamiliarity about a World Cup. Also you got George Spencer suggesting it, plenty of drama, which you know the, the quality on show sure was absolutely out of this world, wasn't it really? It does help, as I say, as well. It makes it a bit special when it's played in Brazil as well. One more point says a 7-1. Mossman 800 says the quality. There were so many goals, screamers, great matches. Players breaking through got upsets like Brazil getting beaten to conceding 7 really did have everything and yeah, that 7-1 was... That is probably one of the most important games of football ever, and it it, it seems strange to me because I always think these are things that only happen before. You can't make more history, but then you get the seven one, and you just you just sit there and you're like, "I'm watching this very rarely in football do you get for as for as much as we love it and we watch it every single week or every day, some people and just think wow this is this is good, it's exciting, it's fun, yeah." There's always a little bit of mundanity about it because you think everything you've watched, everything you're watching has been done before, but you get to seven one and you wow, I'm watching history play out in front of my eyes. Like with the ninety nine Champions League final with Solskjaer, even though I was it was my first full season as a as a supporter. And you 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 you're there thinking, Wow, this is something. Even I don't know much at the age of six or whatever I was, I don't know much, but this is definitely something. And seven one transcends the World Cup even. Incredible. And finally, the 2018 World Cup suggested by Chris Kelly. George Spencer, who says, had to argue against 2018 for how great England's run was, of course, which we mentioned. And Jonathan R. really enjoyed the 2018 World Cup the most. Very high scoring by modern standards, great games and goals. And whilst the 2014 World Cup and 1998 may have had more goals, I think, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that one. 2018 only had one goalless game, and that was France and Denmark playing out a draw so they could both qualify. Um, and, and yeah. 2018 is on my list, mainly because of England. Now I don't think I don't think the football was as good as in 2014. And I think twenty eighteen ran the risk of not having the right amount of shocks in it. I think there was one too many. Uh Germany getting knocked out in the groups, fine with that. Um again, not a Germany thing. Not a Germany thing. Um the team's been loaded into one half of the draw. I was fine with that at the time. I think I still am because England then had a good run at it, um, which then also then makes the World Cup better. But would it have been better if, say, England beat Colombia, then they draw Germany and lose in the quarterfinals? Would it have been better? Probably not. It's, I think we'd, already, we'd all experienced, or most of us had experienced a quarterfinal. We knew what a quarterfinal um, elimination looked like, felt like, whatever semi-final though that even though it's one game and it doesn't really if I was talking to a non-football fan they'd probably have me sectioned but that extra game meant absolutely everything absolutely everything it was so much suddenly not losing to Sweden which is another superb memory not losing to Sweden that whole Saturday and just feeling wow Croatia to come we can actually do this I never not once during that World Cup day I think we're going to win it which I think also adds to the pleasure of getting to the semi-final. 2006-2002, I was adamant we were going to win it. 2018, I'm just there for the ride. Quarter-final, I'd be happy with. Then you get to the semi-final, you think, okay, bonus. I, know, I never... Even when we were 1-0 up in the second half against Croatia, never thought we were going to win it because you think, that's oh, France. France on Sunday, will lose. And I was fine with that. Um... But it's the semi-far, the whole summer, the, the summer in England in 2018, obviously we're quite northern, aren't we? Um, I'm northern in England, so it's even worse. The summer was just, the weather was incredible. It didn't rain for 50 days, which is not a good thing, but it, it, for the mood, the grass was yellow. It shouldn't be, but it was It was fantastic. It was a great summer. This summer, it didn't, it, it rained a lot, but still, it do not matter, does it? It doesn't matter at all. But the fact is, 2020 is probably my favourite year as well. So it just goes to show that the the England factor or your home nation factor is a huge, huge factor in what makes a World Cup good. Also, 2014 is also on my four tournament shortlist here from a neutral point of view. Obviously, with England going out early, it lets you relax and enjoy the football. And I think 2014 probably does beat 2018. But for me on a personal level, 2018 is probably my favourite World Cup. Um, uh, No, I let me revise that, my second favourite World Cup behind 1998, because it is my first, and I think that does have a huge, I think that's the most important factor of it. You can remember, I remember the Reebok kits, Marcelo Salas scoring loads of goals for Chile in that Reebok kit with a huge Reebok logo over the front, the baggy shirts, the, the England shirt, now that I've got one for my son, even though it's age six to seven, an authentic England home shirt from '98. Uh, which I never had, Um, but that was, yeah, fantastic Um, memories from that. 2006, again, it's also my short It's reached a certain age, and around that time when England, you thought were good, (laughs) you had that false dawn that they were good. And, uh, yeah, and I've been waffling for an hour now about World Cups, Um, so if you had any doubt that I love World Cups so much, (laughs) listen to this in times two if you have to. (laughs) But, yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back next week. We're going to do something a little bit special again. We're going to have another game of Obscure Footballer. And unfortunately, there's no international breaks now until March, so I can't really bug you about international football on a Wednesday anymore. Um, but maybe maybe I will. Maybe I'll save schedules <laughs> and just bring out a an international break podcast on a th- thursday in january or something but yeah yeah, the international break is my favorite time of the seasons i know it's not everyone's cup of tea i know everyone waits for the world cup and then goes "Yeah, every two years we can enjoy this um but yeah for me a world cup is for life not just for for july <laughs> as the saying goes so next week we'll be doing a game of obscure football if you didn't listen a few weeks back you've got to give me an obscure football. I've got to decide whether or not they're obscure or not. Um, not saying I'm the, uh, the, you know, the host of football knowledge, but you know, so it's, uh, it's an opinion thing. So sort of, sort of where you grew up, what, what your, what your age is thing as well, um, which we'll all, we we'll all get into next week, and see who can join the obscure hall of fame on that one. Um, but until Friday, if you're only a listener of the podcast, we'll be back with the Barkley's. And If you're on the YouTube there. We'll be back tonight with a, with a lovely what-if, another international break what-if. Um, so, check that out and until then, see you.